You're listening to the Untaming Podcast. We Here is your host, Emily. Hey, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with psychologist Robin Grill. Ever since my interview with him, I've been seeing manifestations of implicit memories everywhere, in myself, but also in the behaviours and reactions in people around me. It's pretty mind-blowing how influential those early experiences can be. Next week, I'll be talking with aromacologist Nadine Artemis about skincare, from sun exposure to washing a baby. If you remember back to the episode on natural human movement with Hazel Boot, She said something along the lines of how we pay massage therapists to rub our back, but if we sleep on a more natural surface, i.e. not on a bed, the ground rubs our back for us all night. And it wasn't until a couple of weeks ago that I really understood this. My husband and I went away to the coast with our children, and we all slept outside on the beach. I've camped out in tents before, and in our van and our caravan with all of the doors and windows open, but I'd never actually slept outside all night directly under the stars. I was expecting my body to ache the next day from sleeping on the firmer surface, but surprisingly, while it did ache, it wasn't the uncomfortable stiffness I'd have been expecting. It was more of a pleasant ache, like my body had been stretching unused muscles all night. I thought I would share this in case any of you were like me and didn't really understand what Hazel had meant by that. Like I said last week, today's episode is a bit different from most of my other episodes. I'm talking with Phoenix in Hawaii about how parenting looks when these practices that we've been learning about are actually put into practice. This was the very first episode I recorded for this podcast and I'm sure it'll be strikingly obvious how nervous I was I'm pretty embarrassed at how much I sound like an amateur. Twenty-eight-year-old Phoenix was born in Tallahassee, Florida, and grew up in a military family. She is currently living in a renovated garage in Hawaii with her partner Antoine and their wild children, two-and-a-half-year-old Nakomi and one-year-old Ayumi. Phoenix shares how her life with wild children looks on Instagram and YouTube. Last night she had five hours of sleep and for breakfast this morning she had a grapefruit and a bowl of granola and a coffee. Phoenix, welcome to the show. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much for having me. So excited. I first came across you on Instagram, I think it was a couple of years ago now, and having now heard the stories of your births on the Free Birth Society podcast, and also knowing that you practice elimination communication and live off-grid, I knew I had to talk with you. When my husband asked who I was interviewing, I described you as a woman living in Hawaii, raising your kids just like us. <laughs> uh, so yes. how long have you been in Hawaii? We've been here for about two and a half, going on three years. So we're still newbies here, but we, you know, we definitely consider ourselves locals at this point like we live here so nice and so what's what's your setup there right now our setup yeah in the in the garage what's it like do you own the land that you're living on or do you rent it or share it with someone else 
Yeah, so we're in um, like a duplex style living. So the renovated garage is like this huge, big one bedroom studio. And in the back is a um, the kitchen and bathroom, which was built on, actually Antoine helped with the project. So it's all sustainable wood. It's like an outdoor, indoor kitchen. The breeze is just, it's like a screened in, it's just magic. It's really cute. Um, so yeah, that's our setup right now. We're kind of outgrowing it. So we are going to be transitioning out of this beautiful grounding space for us but yeah oh fantastic and so you've got uh do you have running water electricity that sort of thing there we do we do and um man it's been just like i don't know just so much gratefulness transitioning from van life into this space with the electricity and the water and you know it's like we we don't rely on it as much now so i still feel like we really are living off grid and just with the openness of the space we often talk about like the next space we look forward to having like a a real bathroom and a real kitchen because everything is still you know like kind of like camp style we have like the burner stove and a little toaster oven so but it's cool like man like we just appreciate all of that extra stuff (laughs) oh yeah fantastic so when you were living in the van was that all four of you? Did you have both children then? I did. I did. Um, Ayumi was born in January. We kind of camped out of our car for um, a month or so. And then we got our van and we were in that for about eight months. It was, it was pretty lengthy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> how was that? Did you have one bed for all of you or how, yeah, yeah, what was it like living day. in there? Yeah, we had our huge bed built out in there and like storage under, it was really, it was really simple. No kind of like real setup beyond the bed. Um, Mm -hmm. Everything was else was like kind of, we cooked outside and um, there's a campground here um, at Anini Beach and they have like sinks and showers and, you know, places to charge your phone. So. Oh, perfect. (laughs) Yep. Did you, um, did you stay with, uh, friends or were you just driving around every night or did you mostly just stay yeah, on the beach? Yeah, so we were, um, and Nini, we were mostly there during the day. We we're also on our friend's land kind of during the day. They have um, mm-hmm. kind of like a shower and kitchen set up as well. And then we would park um, at the cliffs every night and sleep and just have this huge ocean view <laughs> to wake oh, up to. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, so it... it um, tell people, you know, I, I really appreciate the van life experience, but it definitely wasn't like an active choice that we wanted to do. We had to do van life out of necessity because housing here on Hawaii and Kauai specifically is very, very difficult to come by, um, which makes you all the more grateful when you do get to get into setups. But there just was no house. Um, we, you know, we weren't really into camping. So van life was like a little bit more luxurious than doing the whole um camping thing a lot of people do um borderline homelessness slash you can do the lifestyle Hawaii, you know but i i definitely if i do van life again i definitely want to have like a euro van set up where you know it's an actual kitchen embedded in there and just a little bit more useful it's a little bit you know go 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 with with two littles for me it was just i was just running and doing a lot you know a lot of routine it's just different than being a, it's very different 
So that kind of also brings me to my next question. Hawaii, sunbathing on the beach every day, picking fresh fruit along the side of the road. Is life there really idyllic as I'm sure it sounds to many people who hear that you live there? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely that aspect of it, which reminds you to be so grateful that you're here. But there is kind of the the dark side of Hawaii, which is the, you know, just the economy and that it's like, you know, it's a tourist place. So there's people coming through here who kind of um, don't really take care of the aina and are littering and are buying houses and not living here for months and months at a time when there's no places to live. That's the majority of the issue here. The food is very expensive. Um, you know, I once went into the store to buy pineapple and it rung up for $30 and I just felt almost like I wanted to attack the cashier. Like, what, what, what oh, are you wow. doing trying to charge $30 for a pineapple? <laughs> of course, it's not their fault. But, you know, it's just, you know, they know that tourists will come in with that kind of money and will pay $30 for a pineapple. But the locals here, the people who are actually here, we don't have time for that. But that is the blessing of being on the Garden Island you do have opportunities to grow your own food and um, that's the balance that we we're uh, we've been working on ever since we've been here um you can volunteer at different farms and get food for free you know so there's also kind of you know different setups to kind of balance out the expenses of living here but yeah i mean it is it is it is a magical paradise here but you have to work hard you know it's hard work to be here and that's what you learn when you come to hawaii yes you get all this paradise in the fresh fruit on the side of the street, you know, on the sunny days in the winter, but you got to work hard. It doesn't come for the, the lazy. You can't just come and lay out here. You got to come and set up and work hard and be grateful and protect this, this island, protect this land. Cause it's, um, it's, it's a dream for everybody to be able to have their own space and their own land on this earth. I think that's a joy that everybody wants to take part in but we have to remember the hard work that comes with it it's it shouldn't be given to you um and you get reminded that here every day so yes oh wow so let's let's talk about your children nakomi and ayumi um maybe start with their births okay mm -hmm. um so nakomi's birth um was 27 hours and um, I labored at home for 26 hours and had to transfer within the last hour to the house hospital um, and gave birth there. And we left the next day. <laughs> Didn't let them um, touch me, no IVs. Uh, we weren't planning on going to the hospital. That wasn't in our birth plan. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't prepare my mind to go to the hospital. So it was, it was really hard to kind of swallow that. We were there, um, but he was born within 30 minutes of getting there. We shouldn't have even had to go. Um, we were having a lot of kind of tug and pull with our midwife who she just wasn't in the right space to, to um, be birthing. But that's all the lessons that I needed to learn from my second birth with Ayumi, which was four hours. Wow. Um, <laughs> from start to finish, like, you know, the act of labor part. You know, the second birth, you know, you you kind of know what's going on. So it's like the, all the little early contractions, you don't really focus on, you know, you know when that intensity comes and when it's really time to rock and roll. But all of the lessons I learned for Nakomi's birth brought me to be able to make that quick transition with her. My midwife was amazing, Aubrey Jones. 
she didn't touch me, didn't bother me. She really just let me hold my space and was there to support me um, when I actually needed her, which was when I was actually giving birth. And I just needed the support of that wise woman and she was there. And I just had the space to be able to support myself and for Antoine to really focus on me and for us to follow our own choices in that path. And uh, I, you know, I know that's why it was so short and so so much quicker than Nakomi's. Not to compare, like, either birth wasn't bad or good, but it definitely was, you know, a lesson to carry over. And I'm, I'm blessed to have gone through 27 hours of labor. I wish it wasn't. <laughs> but man, we, we had a party for Nakomi's birth. I had Antoine's mom. He has 10 brothers and sisters. So I think maybe wow. like five of my parents, my little brothers. It just was, it was, it was a lot going on. But um, I don't know, there wasn't as much exposure about, I don't know, like this, the choice of birth, like on social media and just around me. So I didn't really, you know, besides, you know, natural birthing, I think that was the emphasis that I, that I placed on it, mm-hmm. having a home birth, it being natural. And that's, you know, how kids work. You know, you try and plan for something to go a certain way and they're like, no, 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 let's, let's, let's do it. <laughs> There's some lessons, so <laughs> that's what Nicole always flipping things 360 for me, and you know, just gotta laugh with it and really, you know, feel the blessings from it. And um, yeah. <laughs> so he he wasn't born in Hawaii, was he? No, he was born in in um, Atlanta, where we were her okay. were right before Hawaii. And why did they transfer you? For you? Was there a specific reason that they convinced you to go you know, to the hospital, was, or did you just go along? The, well, I, everyone was just kind of panicking. My, my Antoine's mom and my mom weren't in support of the home birth. They wanted me to be at the hospital, anyways. So it just came up upon twenty six hours, and I was probably maybe like six or seven, you know, getting there, dilated, but it wasn't happening. And I just stopped talking. So this is what I do, though, when I transition. And that's what happened. I just transitioned. And for some reason, my midwife wasn't sensitive to that because she was doing her own stress in her life, her own things that were going on. She wasn't focused on what was happening. And I stopped talking. And everybody just freaked out. They put oxygen on me and called the ambulance and so I'm like carried me out it was just like this whole just dramatic thing and what I was really doing was just focusing in you know because as soon as we got to the hospital 30 minutes later he was born and that could have happened at home but everybody was just in their own you know feelings and in their own judgments about what should happen and nobody was really I didn't really have a choice and I went mute, so I really wasn't even verbalizing what I needed, which was for everybody to get the fuck away from me. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Birth. But I didn't know how to, you know, and didn't even know that I had the power to say that. Yeah, of course. So. Yeah. You Did you say you discharged yourself the next day? Yeah, we were not playing. <laughs> was there any issues with that, or was it fine? You just walked out? Well, you know, it's like... It, we just saw all the, the disrespect that happens when you give birth in the hospital. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I gave birth, you know, he came out, um, he was placed on me and then they immediately started trying to give me IV and Antoine was like, no, like leave her alone. They couldn't even put the IV, IV in me. 
it was just like I was fighting. It was like this whole fight. We told them to not cut the cord. They gave us some bullshit explanation like, oh, it's going to be harmful for him. Something quick to scare us. And we were like, oh, okay. They cut the cord. You know, then we were, it was freezing in the room. Antoine like took off his shirt and was like stuffing the air vents. It was super bright. Once we did get transferred out of there into our room for the night, there was a bag of candy waiting for me in the room. It was just like, what? What's going on? Like, I don't get a hot soup meal. Y'all giving me M&Ms after I give birth? It was just like, <laughs> like I, you know, <laughs> what's really going on here? <laughs> it felt like an yeah, insane. congratulations. Aside. Right. <laughs> Here's your candy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And the next morning, they brought all this paperwork in for us to sign about, you know, things that they needed to check. And we just, we didn't even read none of it. Just was like, no, 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 no. You know, we let them weigh him. We barely let them do that. And, um, yeah, we just was out of there. We got some Chick-fil-A and went home. <laughs> yeah. After those m ms you wanted some right. food. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, uh, it, was just, it was just a lot. And we were just there for less than 24 what hours. What time of day night. was it? Um, I gave birth to him about 12.30 midnight-ish. And so we stayed the night and then the next morning. Oh, okay. So it wasn't even a full day that you were there. No, no way. Yeah. And Ayumi, she was born in Hawaii. Yes. Yeah. She was born on this land. Yeah. And Um, was she a free birth? Um, You know, I would consider it a free birth because I wasn't like babied the whole time I was in the bathroom by myself and my midwife she was out in the living room having tea and talking it up with the doulas you know so she wasn't like she wasn't she was paying attention to me but she wasn't you know what I'm saying like in my space so for me it felt like a free birth until I needed her and requested and I didn't even request you know she kind of just was in tune and came in at the right time you know she wasn't she didn't check me throughout the whole process you know I didn't feel like a, a project you know, tell me what to do at one point when I was like you know really in it maybe like three and a half hours she was about to come and I was just like crying I was like I'm tired I can't do this anymore like you know banging my fists on the table and she was like well this means that the baby's gonna come soon I just remember being so angry with her like but then I was like you know what you true you know the baby's gonna come you know she she was just really like you know just strong for me she wasn't like oh you know oh let me give you a massage let's get in the water let's dance you know and yeah yeah so it felt really free for me so I, I consider it a free birth with the help of a wise woman if that makes sense of course yeah she sounds yeah, yeah like an excellent midwife midwife she was able to give you an undisturbed birth which is exactly yes. what what we should all <laughs> strive for really or what we should all at least be offered yes i agree yeah she was good um, so let's um let's talk about uh, your community in hawaii are you and antoine like the sole caregivers of your children or do you have anyone else living with you or nearby who are regularly around your children playing a big role in their lives 
Yeah, so that's one of the blessings of living here. One of the, the benefits of living so far from family is that the community of parents is really strong here. Like there's a good 20 young families like us who have little babies um, and, you know, it, it doesn't even matter about like how far we are from each other. Um, it's just constant communication going on right up the road from us. Nakomi, you know, he's two and a half, but right up the road on our hui, which is like the road, they call that the, like, it's like a cul-de-sac. So on our hui, at the end of the hui, we have our um, friends who we've known since we've been here and they have a seven-year-old and a I think he's four, Taj is four, and Nakomi just can walk up the road to their house, um, and they'll, they'll come down here as well, and he just has that constant, like, brother and sister friendship going on with that, which is, I feel, just really special, and a lot of mainland kids don't get to have that, number one, because not everybody can just walk up the road to their friend's house now, you know, <laughs> way. If, if, you know. Um, a blessing for people who are able to do that, but I know where we work, um, when Akomi was little, 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 I wouldn't have let him walk anywhere, you know, in Atlanta. So, yeah, like, my friends, Yoni and um, Nicole, like, they have baby, two babies under two, you know, they're both kind of in it with me, and it's just a blessing to be able to relate to people my age instead of the normal 40-somethings who have kids at this age who, you know, put their careers and their travel first and um, here were attracted to come to the island because we were these, you know, young families just looking for a new path because we wanted to put our, our parenting and our child rearing first. Um, so yeah, the community is strong here because it's you know it's pretty hard being this far from family. It's not like I can really um, be near our family as much as um, most people are. You know, a lot of people have you know grandmas who can help wash the kids and do things like that, and I don't really have access to that. So I do miss that kind of form of interaction with my family, but there's definitely a balance here, and I. I'm just so excited that that's happening because it could get isolating in motherhood. Of course. So these other mothers or other parents that who live near you, do you see them? How often would you see them? Like every day or a few times a week? Um, the, our friends up the road, we see them pretty much every day. Um, my other girlfriends, at least once, um, once a week, I just had a staycation with my friend Joy. <laughs> And we just stayed at a hotel two nights ago and just hung out and just kind of, we were like, you know, we got to do this like once every couple months and just kind of just like fuel up on, because I don't know, it's just, it's so refueling to be around moms. And we kind of do this sleepover thing with each other where we're just around each other, raising our kids together. And it just brings us so much more energy to go back to our homes and, you know, do it solo dolo. Um, Cause dads are a lot of our dads here are off, you know, doing their work and, and mm -hmm. um, providing for our family. So we're um, homeless today, but we're having, you know, I, I go to um, 
like uh, library reading days on Thursdays, Fridays, there's a, a music group and there's a lot of activities that people are putting together here and it really brings us all together. So I don't, every week I'm doing some kind of interaction with other moms. Wow. It sounds so family friendly there. <laughs> it is. It is. It's one of the, it's, it's really amazing. You can go out. I remember when we first got here, we were out eating pizza and Nakomi was kind of acting up at the restaurant and the waitress, she was like, you want me to, you know, watch him for a little bit while you guys eat. And she just took Nakomi and took him over and played blocks with him so that we could eat our meal. Like you can literally do that here. Like I would be comfortable be like, Hey, can you, you know, just keep on, I just need to go to the bathroom. You know, like if people see me struggling, cause I do have two under two. <laughs> yeah. So often people see me struggling, trying to get kids in the car seats or whatever. And I, you know, people will help. Everybody's just super conscious about that. The kids are really treated as gold here and it's man, it's, it's so helpful. Wow. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yes. Um, so that brings me to, um, <laughs> it brings me to talk, asking how elimination communication works for you. Like I'm just thinking of like your kids wearing clothes um, out in public, that sort of thing. <laughs> right. Right. So um, we are homebound most of the time. So, and the weather, I mean, this winter it's been kind of, it's been cold. So they have been more clothed than usual, but when it's um, hot and sunny, my kids are just, you know, bare bottomed because it's so hot. So it's kind of like a natural flow for elimination communication. Um, and I don't know, my kids are just really like good at communicating with me, really intuitive. I can kind of, I read Ayumi's mind literally when she's about to pee. I'm like, okay, let's, let's do something. Let's go outside or let's try and go to the potty. So that's kind of the phase we're in right now. And Nakomi, he just picked it up super quick. The first time I sat him on the potty when he was four months after I nursed him, he pooped and peed immediately. Um, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he definitely had his, you know, roller coaster of pooping in his pants and on the floor. But it's just, you know, every step towards pottying, even if they pee on the floor, when you talk to them, hey, let's use the bathroom outside or in the potty. That's always, it's still a step. So, step towards you know being independent about it and now Nakomi he's for since he's been right before he turned two he's completely out of diapers and um, it, last night he peed before he went to bed and he didn't pee at all overnight so we're transitioning out of him you know peeing overnight as well so it's just you know and the more verbal he becomes the more easier it is mm -hmm. but yeah did you train him? Oh, well, I, I hate using the word train, but yeah, did you, um, at, at nighttime, were you doing elimination communication at night? Would you wake him up to go to the toilet or would he no. wake you up? Or No. And yeah. uh, I guess maybe if I didn't have a newborn or a, a new baby, I probably would get up and take him to the bathroom, but honestly too tired to do that. I don't have time. Mm -hmm. um, for a while, we just had the disposable on him and let him pee before he went to bed and kind of no liquids maybe an hour before he went to sleep and I think he's really becoming more conscious about it now and not wanting to wake up with a wet diaper because if he does pee in his diaper in the morning he's kind of like a little annoyed you know not even because he's like in trouble or anything but he's just like uh I pee pee in my diaper <laughs> but, 
you know so that's sweet yeah. for a boy because they usually don't seem to care about this that, that almost seems like an unexpected benefit of doing it that you weren't practicing it at nighttime, but he's just naturally, I mean, you don't hear of many two and a half year olds who are dry most nights. Yeah, I know. And it's, it kind of takes the weight off of doing that whole nighttime flow when they're like four, you know, which I feel like is the usual age where kids are still peeing the bed. It's like, because mm-hmm. he started potty training so early, the nighttime felt kind of just happened on its own. Um, and he, I know he definitely appreciates the pressure being off of him for that. So it's kind of more his conscious choice. Like, I don't really like having, you know, a wet bottom when I wake up. And I don't really like dealing with that. And he's really distinguishing himself from Ayumi as like, well, I'm big brother. You know, I'm, I'm big kid. And, you know, Mimi's baby and she's still learning. Um mm-hmm. So it definitely gives him like an extra sense of accomplishment, you know, to wake up with a dry diaper. So it's nothing I could have even created in him if I wanted to, if I was training him, you know, the elimination communication, I feel really gives the kids like just a sense of independence about it. Not this training, whole training thing, you know, because kids pick up on that. They think you're trying to make them do something, they're most likely not going to do it. Because they know you're trying to make them do it. Of course, yeah. <laughs> how how does it look for um for Ayumi? Well, how did you start? Like, how did it look when you were beginning it with Ayumi? Um, a lot of just laughing and playing around with her, just sitting on the potty and having Nakomi tell her, "Hey, let's pee in the potty." And that's actually kind of the phase we're in right now with her. Um, just kind of. In the morning, um, she's always diaper-free. I don't really put diapers into her until her nap time and in the afternoon. Um, Mm -hmm. But a lot of it is Nakomi helping me out and being like, Mimi, let's not pee pee on the carpet. Like, you know, let's not da-da-da-da-da. Because she's really just all about her brother. And she'll sit there and listen and be like, oh, okay. Now, is she actively, you know, doing these things? No, not yet. She's still... She still kind of feels like we're telling her what to do. So I'm working on that. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of just, I don't, I don't announce it. Like, okay, time to sit on the potty. I just sit her on the potty and walk away but, yeah. and let her discover, you know, cause she'll look down there and see. And every once in a while she'll go pee pee. Sometimes she'll just get up and go pee on the floor. <laughs> but that's still a learning process. So yeah. Uh, yeah. That's where we are with her. And I think I, definitely by this year, she's going to be, she's going to be really um, in the clear, not using any kind of diapers. But she'll be two in, in January. So we have this whole year and she's already starting. It's amazing. You just don't hear of two-year-olds uh, who are dry, like who are nappy free <laughs> these days. I know. I'm so, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so what do you do when you're out in public with them? Um, with Nakomi, um, sometimes I would bring the potty with me. Mm-hmm. And um, when he was kind of still going in his pants, I would bring the potty and just check in with him about it and ask him, really try to give him a voice about it um, and ask him, do you need to go? Do you need to go? 
and it just prompted him to, to now I, I don't even have to ask him to go to the bathroom even before bed not as much you know he'll let us know I need to go pee you know I need to go to he's very like he likes to make the announcement so it's more about him checking in with us than us with him um but out in public um I wouldn't put a diaper on him I think that helped the most because I think sometimes the diapers are kind of crippling for them at the stage when they need to just kind of break free and you kind of just got to get over maybe messes in pants, you know, cause it's going to happen in the diaper and the pants. So you're just going to make the choice. And I think for me, it was like, okay, I'm not wasting diapers anymore when we go out. So it's just, you know, wear our pants, wear our clothes and, you know, I'll just bring in a change of clothes, but they can feel the mess happening directly on their clothes on his clothes was more alerting for Nakomi because he doesn't like that. He doesn't like to be, you know, have poop or pee on him. So it quickly allowed him to be more verbal about it. Like, okay, I, you know, I need to go to the bathroom. I don't want that to happen. Um, so I think that's mostly what I did. I just didn't put any more diapers on him. I just made the decision one day, no, when we leave, no more diapers. Because if he had the diaper on, he would go to the bathroom in there. And that was it. There was no even opportunity for him to make a different choice. And with Ayumi? With her, we're still, um, she's not verbal right now. So it's still, she doesn't, she's not ready to even get that when we're in public or at home. Right, um, yeah. She still kind of thinks it's funny to go pee wherever she wants. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe at the end of the summer, I think we'll probably transition into that phase of not letting her have diapers out in public, but yeah. she still, still need them on now. <laughs> <laughs> and um what what are other people like with uh you I guess how how are your family supportive of your lifestyle and you raising your kids like this um you know uh I'll speak for my parents at first my parents are really apprehensive to my entire lifestyle just because it's completely different from theirs um my parents are very religious very you know, go to college. My dad has a doctorate degree in um, math, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and now she's out doing her nursing and going to school and, you know, military. So they they have this kind of fundamental way of, you know, you guys should get married. You guys should get jobs. And, you know, we just didn't go about it that way. <laughs> so, um, yeah, my parents were a little frustrated with us initially because, you know, they just didn't see another way but um you know me and Antoine are still together you know we have our two children we're in the beginning stages of our business taking off here you know we're doing well you know so it's now their their arms are opening up a little bit like you know okay you know they're able to be proud of us and you know see our hard work paying off and it's not like you know we do have this whatever hippie wild mindset but you know we are focused humans, you know, and as are hippies, you know, it's just a diff different way to view life. So they're really, you know, learning some hard lessons with me. And I've just been that way all my life. So it's been a struggle for them. But it's, you know, you can't argue with success. And if, if people are happy, you know, so um, and Antoine's family, they've been supportive, ever since we've been out here, they 
they um, more so would rather us be closer to them and closer at home. Um, but we're trying to bring some of them out here. And yeah, so they've been excited for all of this. And, you know, definitely all of the things that we do are very new to them, you know, breastfeeding full time and the elimination communication, you know, it's kind of, you know, it just feels a little weird sometimes, I think, to his mom, some things that we do, but she's still, you know, super supportive. And, um, you know, my mom is really supportive of, you know, our healthy and extreme, like, parenting ways as well. Um, but mm -hmm. they definitely do have their different views about things. But, yeah, it's all, it feels really, really good now. Definitely was hard for us in the beginning because it was hard to get set up here. It's a hard place. It's a hard place to make a living in Hawaii, but once you do get things rolling, manifestations and things flow just very easily. Yeah. So you mentioned a business. Are you and Antoine starting up a business? Yes, we are um, starting up a, a car rental, um, eco-friendly type business where we are renting out um, like Euro vans and um, eco-friendly cars out to tourists who come to the island so it's a it's a market that's never going to go away <laughs> you know they're always going to be coming to be here and we just wanted to set it up in, in a new way so that they can rent out cars that are, look more like local cars um so that they have more of a, a better experience because you know when you're a tourist and you get around local people they're not you know they treat you as tourists um, and people, a lot of people, when they come here, they want to have an authentic experience. So that's what we are striving to do. And it's, you know, very beginning stages, but it's really going really well. I'm excited to see it grow this year. Um, it sounds like, yeah, such a really great way to support yourself. So, well, you can continue to live this lifestyle that you've chosen for your family. Exactly. Yep, exactly. And Antoine is, you know, it's, it's a home business. So it's something we all can do and um, grow into it's like a really yeah. cool family thing that we're, yeah, I'm so excited about it. It's going really well. My next question is what is a major misconception that you think people have about your lifestyle? Um, I think a lot of people think like, not a lot of people, but the, the negative sayers think that I'm kind of rejecting a lot of principles that have been set up instead of seeing it as me just kind of paving a like a new journey um but I, I mean I can't I can see how you know people think I'm just rejecting everything like ah, oh, you just want to be difficult you just you know there's nothing wrong with formula there's nothing wrong with vaccines like look at me like you know it's like but knowing that you have a choice to do another way. Um, I think it's, it's kind of hard for people who don't have the courage to do, to make another choice. Um, but I think that's mostly the, any kind of negativity that I get is from people who are really religious and um, kind of closed minded, you know, grew up in the same place and are still living in the same place, you know, and it's hard for them to have the courage to do those things. So um the questioning and the well why don't you just stay where I am like I am um it's really hard for people to see someone doing something that they can't make themselves do um other than that 
I don't get too much negativity, but when I do, it's usually from those type of people. And it's just, you know, I just have to have compassion and, you know, people have, have completely different worlds that they live in. So, What do you think could be changed to make raising wild children more widely practiced and socially acceptable? I mean... I think that the wildness should be practiced, not just, I don't think people need to move away to practice this um, necessarily like we had to. Um, I think people, I've been living wildly everywhere I've been, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not like I just moved to Hawaii and decided to, you know, have these kind of ideals. I've always been this way. Um, but I think a lot of people think they need to move and kind of copy a lifestyle in order to have this kind of worldview. And it's like, you know, you could do it wherever you are. You know, we were in Atlanta, we were building, you know, gardens in our home, trying to have that experience, you know, there, you know, so it's like, you got to remember that, you know, no matter where you, where you live, like the, you know, the paradise, the happiness is, is what's happening that you create with your family. It's not about the environment. You know, so I think that um, people just need to have, you know, work on the courage to do it wherever they are. I have a lot of friends in Atlanta who are just like, oh, man, I just, you know, if I moved to Hawaii, like, da, 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 it would be easier for me or da, da, da. And it's just like, you know, I, um, I just hope that I can inspire people to just do it where they are with what they have, because that's all it's about. It's not about mimicking anybody or you know, having these uh, goals, whatever, you know, because at the end of the day, yes, more sunny here. Yes, you know, there's the fruit and all these kind of things, but you can make, you know, Atlanta was paradise for us for a while. Um, we just, we just need the, the push of a different environment to help inspire us. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to live in Hawaii forever. You know, this is just where we choose to be right now. I don't want to, you know, it's it's hard to live here. You know, I want to live somewhere a little easier for a different part of my life as well. You know, so I have to remain steadfast in these wild ideals no matter where I go as well. So, yeah. It's not about location. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so I will share links to your Instagram and YouTube accounts in the show notes. Is there anywhere else that people can can get in touch with you? Nope. Um, I also have an email that I, I check daily as well. But okay, yeah, you yep. can Instagram on the main cool. places. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing these experiences with us. Do you have any final words? Man, just um, blessing on your journey. You know, like the journey. Just remember, the journey is very long. Life is very long. If things aren't going your way today, or even this year, like it's all, it's all growth. You know, you have so many years with your children and with yourself. Just be, just be blessed with yourself and enjoy this ride. It's like such a great journey to be given the opportunity to be on earth. It's such a place to grow and like really just make paradise wherever you are. This, this life is so beautiful. It's really divine. If you enjoyed this episode, you can join the discussions on our Facebook and Instagram pages. To hear more, subscribe for free on the podcast app on your smartphone. We are available on Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and all of your favourite podcast platforms. If you would like to offer feedback or suggest a guest, email us at untaming.podcast at gmail.com.